Did you hear what you sang a moment ago? When my weakness is all that I can give. Anybody ever feel that way? The paragraph right before that said, when my sin is all that I can see. When my weakness is all that I can give, your gentle spirit gives me strength again. Lord, we need that strength. We need your spirit to come and minister to us right now. God, we need you to remove from us the distractions, the hindrances in our own hearts that would keep us from worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we need you to meet us here. We invite you to be here among us. We invite you to allow your holy word to go inside of us and change us from the inside out so that we will know you better. And as we know you better, we will therefore love you and trust you more. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will certainly be blessed and so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. Last week, we spent the whole week talking about the fact that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. And we first began by looking at the book of nature. And we looked at the enormous universe that we see when we gaze at the night sky. And we saw that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. And then we looked into the tiny universe, the universe that we can barely glimpse with an electron microscope. And we saw that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. And then we reminded ourselves, Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. Thank you. And then we also looked at the book of Romans and we found that Paul's argument in the first 11 chapters is that the person, the one who by faith is righteous, that person shall live. Paul answers the question, how is it that ungodly people can be brought into a personal, intimate relationship with the holy God of the universe. And we saw in Romans that Paul cried with the Romans. He exhorted the Romans. He taught them. And finally, immediately before the passage we're going to look at today, he sang. What did he sing? He's saying, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given Him a gift that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Jesus, indeed, is the greatest 
person in the universe. So today I want to pick right up where we left off last week and where Paul left off. Immediately after singing God's praises to the Romans, he encouraged us and the Romans to live differently. In light of the fact that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe, Paul tells us to live as a living sacrifice. Let's look at his word in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think Paul may have had the passage that Carrie read for us a moment ago, the story of the woman at well, in his mind when he wrote Romans 12. Because both he and Jesus want worshipers to worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus concludes his story when he says the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Boy, there is a whole sermon right there, but I I will refrain. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Both Paul and his master Jesus want to communicate to sinful people what kind of worship God expected. We must worship in spirit. That is, we must serve God from our inside out. And we must worship in truth. That is, we must take the time and energy to know the God we serve so that we will therefore love Him and trust Him more. In other words, we worship God by serving God by knowing Him better. That brings us to the first point if you're keeping notes on your sheets. It's worship in spirit. Serve God from the inside out. Rereading verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's break this down. Paul begins, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's trying to get our attention. He's saying, okay, guys, listen now. This is important. He calls our attention to the fact that he's continuing based on everything that he taught up to this point. Now, therefore, this is what the therefore is there for, we must live in light of the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? What is the point, Paul? The point is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul appeals to each and every single human being to worship God continually, always, throughout all their lives, with our life. Now, in the Old Testament, in fact, in all of the world, everywhere at the time, God, or whatever, quote-unquote, gods someone worshipped, they were always worshipped by offering an animal sacrifice. 
Basically, you slit their throat and you throw them on the barbecue. And Paul uses this well-known imagery to give us a shocking but accurate picture of what he wants. What does he want? He wants us to no longer live so that you and I are the primary beneficiaries of all of our time and talent and treasures. He wants us to be a living sacrifice. What's that you say? You'd rather slit your throat and be thrown on the barbecue? Fortunately, Paul adds, he says, be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. My friends, you don't have to worry about giving your death to Jesus. He'd rather have the next 30 years of your life. He made this clear in his story of the woman at the well. Jesus asked the woman for the water and the woman wanted to debate him. She didn't want to be barbecue either. But Jesus used the debate to make the central truth in the Bible about worship. What is the central truth? God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus didn't want the woman to die. He wanted her life. That's why he told the woman that God desires worship to worship him in spirit. This means that God expects you and I to serve him from the inside out. And immediately she caught it. And she served Jesus by telling the whole village about who it was that she met. Why did she serve Jesus in this way? Because service is the closest synonym to worship in any language. Jesus, in speaking to Satan, said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Now time out for a second. I want to speak to those of you who are visiting our church right now. In light of the verses that we just read, we don't want your money. We don't want you to give. Now, giving of our income is a significant part of what Christians do to worship. But if you aren't either A, ready to worship, or B, you're not convinced that this is the place where you want to worship long term, then don't give. We, Grace Baptists, like Jesus, want you to give your heart first. Worship from the inside out. To worship Him spiritually before you give physically, before you give your money. To worship Him spiritually means to worship from the inside out. So, here, come to grace and learn how to love Him first and then give. But pay attention. Because once you are a Christian and you have made yourself a part of any given church, like the best church on the Central Coast, Grace, here in Santa Maria. Thank you. Always love my amens. Um, when you do make yourself a part of any given church, then you will give your money. You will give your time, your talents, and your treasures. Why? Because that's what God expects of us to do. And that is what He enables us to find progressively easier to do as we worship Him. 
Giving yourself, including giving your money, giving yourself is a portion of what it means to be a living sacrifice. Because you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Your worship on the inside will eventually work its way out and you will be glad to give your time, your talents, and your treasures. And it's because, it's because you cannot love something or someone without giving. It's because of that that I gave the sermon I did last week about Jesus being the greatest person in the universe. Because when we recognize that in our minds and in our hearts, we will know that there is nothing... There is nothing, not anything that we find pleasure in. All the things that you invest your time, your talent, and your treasures to get, there is nothing that is worth laying down your life for other than the glory of the fact that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. He is the one who is worth serving. Now let's tie this together. Paul says that we are to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because you realize the greatness and the beauty, as we just sang, which I love that song, the beauty of the Lord, because you recognize, you will understand that there is nothing worth loving so much. Things like TVs, cars, or things like political position or job promotion. There is nothing worth loving so much as Jesus once you know Him. Because then you will be able to give your bodies as a living sacrifice to Him. Now, I bet there's a question flitting around in many of the minds in this room right now. What do you mean, Greg? I don't give my body to worship anything. Well, let me respond to that question with a question. What do you spend your money doing? What do you spend your leisure time doing? What do you spend your talents doing? Because when you look at your time, your talents, and your treasures, things that we invest in things that are not directly to putting food on the table or cleaning up that food. In other words, when you're not counting all the things that we have to do simply because we're alive... Whatever it is that you're investing your time, your talents, and your treasures in, then that's what you're worshiping. You worship what you serve when you are doing what you want to. You worship what you serve when you are doing what you want to. Beyond your job, beyond taking care of the kids, beyond going to the grocery store. Now, you may not be slitting your throat and laying down on a barbecue, but you can be sure that you are sacrificing something for all the things that you love. But, my friends, make sure that what you are loving is worth serving. What you and I need is something greater than baseball, greater than shopping, greater than going hunting, greater than video games. This is why last week I preached that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. And you need to know that spending your life and pleasures on Him is the only thing, the only thing that can bring you what you're after when you're chasing pornography or drugs or gossip or revenge. So find a way. Find one small practical step that you can take this week so that you can sacrifice something so that you can invest time in Jesus who will bless you 
far beyond anything that you could get from stuff. Try it. Push Jesus on his promise when he says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. He will come through. Now, now here's just one idea, okay? Last week we gave out these booklets and I found out they went faster than I expected. But uh, this month is the month of Ramadan and Muslims all over the world are fasting and praying. Well, I think it behooves us also to pray. And there is uh, these booklets, you can get them. You can also go to the website uh, 30daysprayer.com and you can find how you can be in prayer. Sacrifice five minutes. Each day has these fun, uh, poignant stories about individuals living in these different countries. And they give you these great prayer helps. And I, I just have to read a couple of these. Uh, one of them says, Open the book, this book right here, God's Word. When you pray, God's Word is the life and power of your prayers. And then they give an example. I love this quote. I'm going to have to write this down somewhere. The only limits to prayer are the promises of God and His ability to fulfill those promises. And then he quotes Psalm 81.10 where he says, Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Trust God so much that you're willing to stand there with your mouth open and let Him give you what it is you most need and want. Push God on His promise. He will come through. And when you begin to worship in spirit, serving God from the inside out, then you will be able to, your second point if you're keeping notes, worship in truth. We will be able to serve God by knowing Him better. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world. And here, Paul is warning us of the danger of allowing the culture around us to squeeze us into its mold. Now, Christians in this church, as well as Christians around the world and throughout history, have fallen into two specific errors in this regard. One is to deny culture and run away from all its forms. Music is an example of this. And the other has been to uncritically accept the cultural forms that are seeking to squeeze us into their mold. Music is an example of this. And T.M. Moore, this is a long quote, said this. He said, We cannot escape involvement with culture. And since not all culture that presses us day by day is useful to us in our calling to seek first the kingdom of God, that is our calling and His righteousness, we must learn to look beyond the mere appearances of contemporary culture, that which attracts, entertains, delights, informs, and so forth. And what are we to look at? What is it that we need to pay attention to? The deeper worldview issues of the culture. When you're watching TV, learn to think, 
what are they saying about this world that I need to pay attention to so I could understand what they're trying to squeeze me into? What are they saying about life and, and the important things of life? Look into what is going on underneath what they're trying to sell us so that we'll understand. And then we must learn to judge with righteous judgment the culture in which we participate in our day. We must develop and sustain an ongoing dialogue with and a critique of the culture in which we live. How do we do this? What's, what's one concrete way we can do this? Well, let me tell you. I think you and I should ask ourselves every single day, is what I am doing or thinking or believing because this is my culture, whatever your culture is, 1950s America or 21st century America, I don't care what it is, is what I'm doing, thinking, or believing because of my culture or is it because I believe what I am doing and thinking to be based on the truth that is found in the Word of God? We all, need to do that. And the reason is, is because you are inescapably swimming in a sea. You and I are wet to our cores with the culture. We are so wet we can't even feel it anymore. Now this has been true since the Garden of Eden, but it is even more true in the current culture we live in because our culture doesn't even give us time to think about the sea that we swim in. The air that we breathe, or as Paul calls it here, this world. And one of the very sanest men that lived in the 20th century was A.W. Tozer. And he poignantly commented, now catch this, he said it in 1966, before the revolution of American churches in the late 60s and 70s. Tozer said, Almost everything the church is doing these days has been suggested by the world. Are we allowing the world to show us how we are to worship? What we are to think? What we are to do? You better believe it. Instead of being pressed into this world's mold, whichever mold suits your fancy, instead of being pressed into this world we must not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of our minds don't miss this point my friends this this is huge because we have to understand that your mind the christian's mind is the primary battleground in all spiritual warfare no caveats to that statement And Paul tells us so in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we walk in these physical bodies. We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but these weapons we have have divine power to destroy strongholds. What are these strongholds, Paul? What are you talking about? These arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. And we are to do what? What is the goal? What do we have to do? We are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. That is spiritual warfare. And that is why Paul says we must worship in spirit, from the inside out, and we must worship in truth. And we, do, we serve God 
by knowing Him better. Jesus, Paul, and Moses all agree that the truth is the only place, it's the only framework from which we may genuinely worship. If we are to worship from the inside out, it must be in the truth so that we will worship the right God, which is the point of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And so that we will worship God rightly, which is the point of the second commandment, which is you shall have no other idols. Commentator Robert Mouse wisely said about this verse, Paul reminded the Galatians that the present age is evil. It cannot, must not, serve as a model for Christian living. Its values and goals are antithetical. They are exactly contrary to growth and holiness. God wants you to go this way. The world is pulling you that. The church should stand out from the world as a demonstration of God's intention for the human race. To be culturally identified with the world is a place the church at risk. And don't, don't miss this because how, how, do we, how do we make this switch? How do we turn this corner so that we can serve the Lord by knowing Him better? With the kind of worship that emphasizes correct thinking about God and emphasizes a good, correct, proper interaction with the culture around us, with that kind of worship, God is pleased. And He offers a promise to everyone who will pursue that. What is that promise? That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you want to know what God's will is in your life? 16 years of pastoral counseling, that is absolutely one of the most frequent questions I am asked on. So do you? Then worship God in spirit and in truth. Now I am positive in many minds in this room right now, there's an objection going on. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, Greg, that's all good, but... What is this but? I think it is this. God just doesn't seem real to me. Now, you may put that objection in other ways, and you might think, well, I, you know, there's just too many things to do. I, I, I can't get to God. There's, there's so many things I've got to do God is just low on my list. I've got to do ministry. I've got to serve. So I don't have time to worship God. Maybe this is how it is in your life. You find it difficult to worship, for example, reading the Bible for 10 minutes straight each day. I won't ask you for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us have difficulty in reading your Bible for 10 minutes a day. Or how about this one? Maybe you find it difficult to consistently pray for the people that you love every day for one week. Boy, it gets tough to worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay, that's where you're at. Welcome to Jesus' school of spiritual growth. You're human, so these things are difficult. What's new? 
Let me say a few things that I believe most of you already know, and then I want to give you a few ideas that you can take home, and between you and the Holy Spirit, you can determine how to incorporate some of these in your life. The first point is that spiritual disciplines, things like Bible reading, praying, fasting, sharing the good news with the people around you. Spiritual disciplines are called disciplines not because they are easy, but precisely because they are hard. Why do you call them disciplines? Because they're tough. Welcome to the real world. And stop feeling sorry for yourself because oh, it's just so hard to pray for 10 minutes. Now, the second point, I know most of you know this as well. God not only wants you to live these disciplines, but he gives you, catch this, he gives you enormous promises to enable you to do so. In fact, these promises are so enormous. Usually when we read them, we find that we must kind of apologize for them. Well, God really didn't mean this. He must have meant that. If God says it, believe it, my friends. And third, I believe for every born-again person here, whether you're struggling deeply or not, every single born-again Christian here wants to live by these disciplines. They want to trust these promises. But until you trust these promises you and put yourself in the way of trusting them and doing the disciplines, you will never succeed. Instead, you will be frustrated. You will finally come to a point where you despair. And you just say, I can't do it. So how do we get past this? How do we put ourselves in the way or in the path? How do we enter by the narrow gate so that we can finally succeed? Well, Jesus called it abiding in Christ. Paul called it presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. Moses called it fearing the Lord. Peter called it partaking of the exceedingly great and precious promises. Another way of saying point number three up there on the screen is that your reality is determined by what you focus on. If you focus on toys, whatever toys you might have, it it seems like everybody's got their own toys. But if you focus on whatever those toys are, your toys will be most real to you. They will be most pressing upon you. They will demand more and more of your attention. If you focus on experiences, experiences will be the most real to you. If you focus on health, health will be the most real to you. If you focus on revenge or bitterness, then bitterness will be what's most real to you. It will make the most and loudest and consistent demands on your time, your talents, and your treasures. So then what does it mean? How do I go about making Jesus my reality? It means, catch this, don't miss it, by aligning yourself with God in such a way that He and His Word becomes more and more important to your daily life. How much of your day is spent completely without thought of God or His Word? It means 
Making Jesus more your reality means that you intentionally increase the portion of your day that you consciously consider God's promises and His commands. Now, listen. This is not judgmentalism. This is not legalism. Start small on this or else you'll fail. Don't try to make all these grand promises. But and, and if you are already beyond what I'm about to suggest, stick with it. Praise Jesus. Press on. Keep going. But if you're not, I would like you to consider a couple of ideas. Maybe you'll have your own ideas and they'll be better than mine. Go for it. But the first one is to get up early enough in the morning to read your Bible prayerfully for 10 minutes. Go get all your stuff done. Go out into the kitchen. Grab your Bible. Grab your coffee. Set your microwave timer for 10 minutes and sit down and be with God for 10 minutes. Set your timer, by the way, and the reason you should do this is because if you don't, you're going to be, and the Lord said, oh, eight minutes. And Paul said, oh, 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 uh, seven minutes. Set your timer. You won't have to worry about it. Second idea. Read one chapter from the gospel each night with your family or at dinner or before you go to bed. Make this a family thing that you actually read the Bible together. Just do one chapter. Most chapters you can read easily in 10 minutes. Maybe you can pray through a psalm during your lunch hour. Go set a Bible in your car and go sit in your car at your lunch hour and read one psalm and just say, Jesus, show me what you want me to see in your word right now so I can apply it to my life. And there will be days that you go out there and you're like, right on, I'm going to read two chapters. Or there may be days when you say, well, okay, I did my chapter. Be there. Be there. God will meet you. Maybe what you need to do is get your iPhone out or your Razor or whatever you have and get the Fighterverse app and memorize with us the Fighterverse we do every day. If you don't have a smartphone that makes you stupid, oh, sorry. Did I say that? <laughs> if you don't have a smartphone, on your sermon notes every single week, we have the Fighterverse listed. You can take five copies of the sermon notes. We will give them to you, trust me, and put them all around your house so everywhere you go you see it. These are ideas that you can do because Jesus is the greatest person in the universe. These are ideas that you can do so that you can so arrange your life so that God's word is more and more important to your daily life and you will find it easier to worship God in spirit and in truth. If you do not plan to succeed in recognizing that Jesus is the greatest person in the universe, you are thereby planning to fail. And you will continue being frustrated. You will continue wishing that you can do better. You will continue to blame God. Why don't you just make this easier for me, Jesus? And you will continue to despair. That, my friends, He and He alone is worth all of your time, your talents, and treasures to worship Him in spirit and truth. Begin today in one of these small ways so that you can live a life that is the best you can live on earth 
but also one that worships God in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Oh God, the last thing I want is for what I have said to be interpreted as legalism. But I know that you have also given us these means so that we can become the people you have created us to be. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself, Lord Jesus, that you will give us the wisdom, the courage that we need to walk and become more like you so that you will be glorified. We will be blessed and your kingdom will grow. Bless us indeed, Jesus, because we love you. Amen.